This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard him. You heard the man. Craig Lockwood's here, recording artist. But before we get to that, remember, this is the Full Blast Podcast, sponsored by Broadbeck Ironworks. Broadbeck Ironworks makes a 2x72 grinder. They're knife makers making grinders and tools for other knife makers. Now, just to let you know, they're great grinders, not just for knife makers, but metal workers and woodworkers and sculptors and stuff. And you should check out their products. Their products are dynamite. And uh, I'll say this because we're coming up on their Black Friday sale from uh, November 20th to the 27th. They have a ton of deals on the Max Plus package, the Premium Plus package, the Super Mega package, the Surface Grinders, 10% off attachments. Definitely go to BroadbeckIronworks.com and check out what they have. Uh, and once again, listen to their episode. Their episode is real interesting. Their backstory is great, and um, they're terrific. So BroadbeckIronworks.com. Don't forget the Black Friday sale from the 11th, 11.20 to November 20th to the 27th, okay? Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax, all-natural food, save wax for your axe, for your wood, for your steel, for your Damascus, for your carbon steel, for your leather, for whatever you got. It's all-natural food, safe, and it's good enough for that. It's good enough for you, and I use it all the time. I use it on all my handles, the wood. I sent out, uh, I sent out some knives this past week, and I gave it a coat of Axe Wax, and it was great, and it was, it just, it puts, it goes on really easy. It's food safe. You don't have to worry about it, and, um... It's dynamite. So if you go to axwax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. If you're in the UK, go to UKKnifesupplies.com. They're taking Full Blast 10. If you're in the EU, knifematerial.at, that's Keith Colby. He taking 10% off with Full Blast 10. Uh, and Gamaco in Australia and uh, nordicedge.com.au, they're both taking Full Blast 10. So go get yourself some of that Axwax. Save a couple bucks, okay? Next is Total Boat. Total Boat makes adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds. It started out for boaters and DIYers, and then the, the people at Total Boat realized that there are knuckleheads out there who need some things to make. They got to make some poor tables and they need all this stuff. They found out that guys like Jimmy DiResto wanted to do something with their dead animals they find. So Jimmy DiResto found a dead uh, groundhog that was mummified, and he embedded it in their two-part epoxy, and he made himself like the Iceman, but it's like a groundhog. It's crazy. And if you go to TotalBoat.com, you can get yourself all that two-part epoxy, and if you put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. I love their UV clear resin. It's it's a stuff that hardens with a UV light. You give it a little flashless light bulb or this uh, flashlight and it, and it hardens right up. So go get yourself some of that Total Boat. It's good enough for Keith Deason, Derek Fromalden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, every Keith you got. It's good enough for you. So go to get some of that TotalBoat.com. Get yourself some of that uh, 10% off when you use Full Blast 10. Trojan Horse Forge. Trojan Horse Forge are my friends out in Texas. They make the stable rail knife finishing vice. Their vices are built in the heart of Texas, and they're amazing. They're overbuilt, probably. They're the last vice you're ever going to need. If you're a knife maker, not only are you going to be able to use it for finishing your handles and sculpting your handles, but it's also going to be used for, for your uh, blades. They have these plates, and then that you mount on these plates that are covered in rubber, and it supports your blade. Uh, it holds the blade in, uh, and then you can hand sand the blade with comfort. And if you have a distal taper, there are pins that you can adjust 
to uh, to support your knife if you have an integral bolster, if you have a kukri, if you want to hand sand with a file guide on, you can you can move it the plate back and you can uh, accommodate the file guide. So if you go to trojanhorseforge.com, you can find out when they're going to send their shipments of their knife of their knife finishing vices out. It's they don't have, they're this a hot ticket item, folks. It's a hot ticket item, so you got to get on it while they have it, and you can get on their. Uh, you can get on their, uh, I guess their message or their, uh, newsletter and get yourself one of them nice finishing vices. So you go, go to trojanhorseforge.com and get it to you. And if you don't want to lump it all out, they also have payment plan options available. So thank you to Trojan Horse Forge. I love their, their stable rail knife finishing vices. They're dynamite. The last but not least knife uh is maritime knife supplies that's maritime knife supply.ca uh lawrence lake is doing a great job he's a knife maker he created a knife supply company and they have all your knife finishing needs your knife making needs i should say belts abrasives steels kilns forges presses heat treating ovens anvils and everything else they have dr laren thomas's book knife engineering they have uh, he's got Rockwell chisels from Matt Parkinson. He's got brooches. Every time I mention something, he'll send me another message of what he has. And now they are Maritime Knife Supply is the Canadian distributor of Broadback Ironworks. So if you want to get yourself one of the best grinders around and you're in Canada and you, you say to yourself, I'd love to get one, but I'm in Canada. Now you can go to Maritime Knife Supply and know this. These are got, it, Lawrence is all about the knife making community. He started a, a sponsorship, a, uh, my bad, he didn't, a scholarship with the New England School of Metalwork, and he is going to give you a scholarship if you apply for it, and you can get travel expenses and accommodations and take a class, and it's definitely worth it. And he's a, he's a dynamite guy. He's doing lots of great things. He also has the TR Maker equipment, and uh, if you want it, if you're in Canada and you say to yourself, I want, what, I want this, send him a message. I'm sure he'll get, it. he'll get a hold of it. So go get yourself anything from uh, Maritime Knife Supply and uh, know that if you get their abrasives, if you buy 10, you're going to get 10% off. Uh, you're going to get one free, basically, one belt free. So thank you very much, Lawrence. Uh, thank you to all the sponsors, and I'm very excited right now. Let me just take a breath. Let me just take a breath because I'm now officially in the music interview business i mean the minute this i am interviewing recording artist craig lockwood debuting his new single out now called this town recorded at the rockfield studios produced by nick Bryan, only available at craiglockwoodmusic.com craig lockwood my friend how are you i'm good i'm good six and a half minutes of ads that's a man looking to send his daughter to college. Listen to me. I'll tell you why I do it now. You know, on Knife Talk, we break it up. We break we it up. Yeah. But what I want to do is I, 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 when I'm interviewing someone, I don't want to fucking stop a no, thought. Makes, you know, makes so sense. like yeah, I try yeah. to knock it out. And yeah, I, was, I, was, I had uh, Nico on once. And he goes, oh, you're going to make me sit through these goddamn ads. Why don't you just record it? But I change them around. And the other thing is it allows me to kind of like wake up. It just kind of like gets the blood pumping. So Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's all good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, recovering from the the Dharma Steel Chef Invitational that we did, which that was, was fun. mayhem. It was three hours of yeah, lots of stuff happening and um, having to be sort of on the ball, you know. But um, uh, it was good. Really enjoyed it. You did an amazing job. Not number one. Number two is I was nothing but disappointed in myself <laughs> that I could not get on for. It wasn't really my fault, but you know, to be honest with you. I was listening back, and you and Mareko did a great job uh, in general, and it was a fun show, and we did a, it was a lot of fun. I was just pissed off at myself that I 
hadn't figured out how, why, for some reason, Google, oh, it doesn't really matter, but I couldn't yeah, figure out yeah. how to get on, and it was a pain in the ass, but we're here now. It was Let's good. not talk about, good. this is not a knife talk, you know. It's this not, is, no, no. This is a very... Ex- you're going to lay Go me ahead. down on the sofa and unpack my brain, I think, aren't you? No, 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 no. I want I'm very, I've been excited if a number of months ago you said that you're going to, you, you, you know, you're a musician. You have a band called Uplift and you decided you've been writing songs and you had the opportunity to record a single at Rockfield Studios. And I just want to talk about you and your music. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try okay. to get you. Don't worry. <laughs> I have a couple of things I want to get you on, but other than that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So tell me, what is it like you're being a recording artist now? It's been a crazy three weeks. So um, yeah, basically living out my boyhood dream completely. You know, this is what I've always wanted to do since, you know, as a kid, my heroes were rock stars and, you know, music was, you know, I was one of those lonely kids sitting up in his room just listening to music with headphones on all the time, all the time. Right. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of sort of, you know, 90s, you know, Britpop music, which... You know, it was, it was a cultural phenomenon. I can't say the word phenomenon um, in the UK. And you know, I know Britpop sort of travelled around the world a bit, but you know, in the UK, it changed culture completely, completely. And huge fan of that sort of era of music. And everything that was recorded came out of Rockfield at, at those times. It was the, it was the place to record. Um, so yeah, having that opportunity to go there and record a few songs was a, a complete and utter dream. Just to let you know, 1989, I was a, I was a, uh, a CIT, it's a counselor in training, and we had all these guys from Manchester who were, we were, we mm-hmm. were bunked up with in the, uh, like the, the counselor's quarters, and they yeah. were playing the Stone Roses album. That it just I came can out. imagine, yes, yeah, the all first Roses album, yeah. the time, all the time, like it was all the time, and I know yeah. that that Stone Roses album was recorded out of Rockville too. Yeah. Yeah, and um, well, they were there. Well, for their second album, they got Rockfield. They basically lived there for fourteen months. So Rockfield is the world's first uh, residential studio. So people go there and they stay because it's it's a farm in the middle of nowhere. Um, so that attracts a lot of people because there's no press there. There's no uh, there's nothing else to you know to 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 get your mind mixed up on. You're there to do the job. Um, but Stone Roses were there for fourteen months actually recording their second album. That's oh my a long god. Yeah, so it was mad that I was staying in the, in that same accommodation, and nothing's changed. That that's the that's what's amazing about Rockfield. So, to give it a bit of a history, it it started back in the I believe the sixties, where Kingsley and his brother, who's, who Kingsley still owns Rockfield, um, they were looking for someone to record. They were in a band, um, couldn't find anywhere apart from Abbey Road, too expensive. So they just bought a little bit of equipment. People started coming to them, and before you knew it, you know they, they had the likes of. Iggy Pop, David Bowie, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, back in the 70s, it was it was a huge place then. And then obviously in the 90s, you had this huge explosion of Britpop, and it, as I said, they were all recorded there. So it, it, to me, this is like the mecca of music for me, and all the music that I love was all recorded there. So yeah, it was it's a special place to be, and nothing has changed at all. If you go to like a fancy new studio in a, in a, in a big city, everything's pristine, and you're a little bit scared to touch stuff. But here... Everything is ancient, ancient. So you, you, can, you can literally do what you like there. And some of the stories I've heard, people really did what they wanted. But uh, it is a, a, like a magic place, a magic place. And, the, the, you know, so Bohemian Rhapsody was recorded there. 
you know? And I'm, I'm speaking to Kingsley, who's the owner, and he's he's in his 70s, and he just rattles off these stories. All, every afternoon, he'd come in with a cup of coffee into the studio, and he'd just tell us stories. Outrageous, outrageous stuff. Um, but one of them, he was like, he was on about Bohemian Rhapsody. He said, oh, I was sitting next to Freddie when he wrote that. And he said, if you look out the window there, look out the window, and there's, there's a weather vane on top of one of the farm buildings. And he said, that's where you got the line, anywhere the wind blows. And I was just like, gee, and you, you get these chills. You hear all these different stories, all these different things that had happened. That's awesome. It's just like, wow, wow, yeah. That's all. I mean, that's that's amazing. What is interesting is is the fact that how did they fig, how did all these musicians figure out to go there? Was it because it was so secluded, or was it because because it sounds to me? And I listened to, I re-listened to. You had a great podcast. I wish you did it more often, but I know you're a busy guy. Called Sleeve Notes, and it was on. Mm. It was, and you interviewed you interviewed Nick, Nick Brine, yes, who yeah. was also the producer of oasis and a lot of the he was the he was the producer at the time of at rockfield he said he yep. did everything he did he put band-aids on things and he, he got the coffee he did everything at the time yep. and he also produced your album and i guess i guess i wonder how did these guys find rockfield i think it's a case of hearing the legends that were there iggy pop and ozzy osbourne that kind of thing and hearing the stuff that they sort of got up to um and thinking well that makes a lot of sense to go there because i say it's it's residential you can stay there um there's no as a no press intrusion as you'd get in a big london studio and i think it just it just suited suited particularly bands as well i think modern music is is very different and everything is sort of sequenced and so on you can do that in a, in a small room anywhere um but when you're talking to you know bands who like to record sort of live they need you know the space to do that right and and Rockfield was was built, you know, you know, acoustically driven, so everything is right. And it's funny how I can I can listen to music now, and I'll, I I know it's it was done at Rockfield because there's a sound, and that you know there's the sound of you know the desk that they use, which is a big old Neve desk, a big old vintage console, um, but also the sound of the rooms as well. And I was explaining this to my wife earlier. She was like, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, put it this way, if." You know, I, I spent four, five days literally in one room listening intently for 16 hours a day, basically. Long, long days. Now, if you were in your house, somebody blindfolded you and took you into a different room, let's say a kitchen or the bathroom, I think you'd know where you are just by that sound huh. reverberating back to you, especially a bathroom, for example, because right. there's huge reverb there. Um, and when, once your ears are sort of intently in tune to a certain space which mine was you know whilst at rockfield you can hear that in in other records and it's it's crazy i didn't think that would be possible but it is there's there's a sound there and um people try to capture that as well i think all, so, old old vintage gear all that kind of stuff they all have a, a, a certain set of warmthness to them so they're looking for, so these these bands are specifically looking for this rockfield sound I think so. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not so much now. I think the '90s were their sort of glory days, um, and every British band recorded there. And all of my favorite bands recorded there. Um, yeah, I say maybe now it's a bit different. When things a bit more electronic, um, you don't necessarily need that sort of that sort of space. Um, but yeah, certainly the '90s was 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 a heyday for them there. Yeah. Nick Bryan said that when they were recording one of the Oasis albums, they they recorded 15 songs in 15 days. Yes. How the yes. fuck did they do that? 
<laughs> How much a cocaine? Lo- a lot of cocaine, of cocaine. exactly. <laughs> a lot of cocaine. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm re- listening to this out. I'm listening to this interview. He's like, yeah, we did 15 songs, 15 days. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I'd say everything is still the same there. And when you go into the, if you could imagine at a studio, you have it like a control room where they have this big, massive mixing desk, ancient thing from the 70s. You can't turn it off because if you do, the power supply may blow it up when you turn it back on. It, this, there's loads of heat coming from this, so it's a really warm room. Um, hasn't changed at all since the 70s. And you look around, and there's, like, there's, there's signs there, like, you know, please don't put uh, cocaine in the faders of the, of the mixing <laughs> console. And, stuff. and it's just, I don't know, it's just like, it's just crazy craziness there. Um, and you just think, you know, some of the stuff that had gone on in this room, you can you can only imagine. Well, do you have any stories that you heard that are really juicy or loud? I, I do. No Maybe we'll, we'll, pep, we'll pepper the show with a few. Yeah, come on, um, start one, start one up. Okay, so Lemmy from Motorhead and oh Hawkwind, god, this is going to be good. Recorded there, <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, apparently he had this thing where so that you'd have a producer sitting at the desk and he'd be in the control room, and his game was to try and catch the producer out. So he. Apparently he had a huge penis, um, <laughs> so he he'd like he'd put it down on the wait, mixing wait, desk. The so Lemmy the produce- did, or the producer did? The, the Lemmy, Lemmy did. <laughs> so so he'd put it down on the mixing desk. The producer would like move his arm to go and move something, and end up grabbing it, and oh everybody would laugh. Or he'd put it on his shoulder and wait to see how long he'd find. Oh my god, what a penis! And there's just yeah, just stories of you know bringing you know the the, the words that that they used were fresh hookers in every night. <laughs> Fresh hookers, <laughs> and he said, you know, they'd be there in the control room at it, and the, the you know the producer they're trying to get to his job at the same time, and it's yeah, it's, it's yeah, crazy. But you can imagine what you know in the seventies were a very different time, obviously. Oh, of course. I you mean, know, the what, whole music scene was. I mean, what's interesting is, is actually it made me think back. You know, just talking about this and like kind of learning more about Rockfield it reminded me of. Uh, at your at your request, uh, a suggestion. I listened to the Beatles, the Beatles doc. I watched the Beatles documentary. Mm, get back, yeah. Get back yeah. and how they made music in this weird space. Honestly, I mean, it was just not probably not acoustically good. Yeah, especially for that for that particular um, TV show. Yeah, and they, they mentioned that at the beginning as well, didn't they? They said the sound here is terrible and all the rest of it. But yeah, yeah. That whole I, I guess now that I want to talk to you about the 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 the, the yours building of a song mm. when i watched that documentary it made me re- really uncomfortable be honest with you the uh, <laughs> beatles documentary because it was so there was so much pressure on them to come up with music and there were people around them and their camera crews around them and then their hangers on and there you could tell that there were like finance guys behind them kind of just like twiddling their thumbs waiting for you know genius to happen mm. and to be a creative person and to have to really kind of dig deep to cough this stuff up. It just seemed, I was, it made me uncomfortable, frankly, because I felt like the creative process isn't something that you can just, you just can't squeeze money out of a rag sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And well, I wonder, when I watched that, when I was watching that, I was, you know, you, you've got um, Paul on the piano there and he's writing, uh, let it be. And they're all chatting there. And I'm just, I just want to say, will you be quiet, please? Yeah. Paul's writing, let it be there. <laughs> yeah. Know? And they're just chatting away. And it, yeah, it was crazy. That was, that made me, I mean, in terms of being creative with people watching or people being around or people, mm. there was this like, it was almost like, I don't know how they were able to kind of like 
relax and just allow things to happen. And yeah. it makes me want to know from you, what's your writing process? I mean, the song, This Town, I've, I've listened to it 20 times and I like it better every time, which I'm surprised because like I'm picking things up every single time I listen to it and I've really enjoyed every single time. What is your process to writing a song? Not, not a standard process really. And I think with, with, this town specifically, it was very different. So to take things way back to sort of pre-pandemic, so I think looking at my voice notes now, and I'll play, I'll play a couple of those in just a second. Um, they're sort of May two thousand nineteen when this was started to be written. So my wife and I have been writing a a script for a TV show for four or five years um, called This Town, um, and the whole idea, the premise of that is. Um, it's based in a you know a small Welsh town. Um, like an outsider comes in, and it's his experience of it's a sort of comedy that kind of thing. It's his experience of that, and um, so we're right now. We're, we're trying to think of you know the main things. You know, if you if you're pitching this to a network or wherever it may be, you need to, you need to know you know who the characters are, what what the what the where, you know the story arc and all that kind of stuff. So we're writing these things down now, and I'm thinking, oh, that that you know, the theme tune for this, where I could see all this happening. It was quite visual, the whole thing, you know? Um, so so I just got a guitar and went and we're playing and, um, and yeah, and come up with some sort of melody. Um, and I'll play that for you now because you, you, we'd be able to see how the song was sort of as built up. So this was, actually, this was April 2019, 4th of April 2019. This town can bring you down So that was sort of the basic melody, and that's just a voice note on my phone, and you can hear the, the you know, the, the kids in the background as they're right. babies at the time and all that kind of thing. And um, the first line that came out was, this town can bring you down. And and I suppose that's what the, the, the TV show is all about. I mean, if you think of, it's quite hard to explain to American, actually, how different Wales is to, you know, what you'd see on TV of like London or, you know, English cities. You know, it, it's very different. They're very sort of close-knit communities. You know, most sort of South Wales towns, you know, there's very few jobs, lack of opportunity. Um, but it creates these really sort of strong characters. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of, you know, petty crime, but but everybody's very neighbourly and sort of welcoming and, and you know, they've got your back, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so that's what the TV show was about. And it's like, well, how can we put that into a song? So that was the sort of melody that we, I sort of come up with. And it was just, just picking up a guitar um, whilst we're there. Um, and that was my wife and I just sitting there. Uh, whilst watching the TV, so so that was the fourth of April. I've got in my you know, voice. I'm just going through them now. So I've got another one on the fifth of April. So I'm not quite sure what this one is, but I'll play it. But each one of these show a development of how the song is structured, really. And they all sound terrible, by the way. <laughs> Same old sights and sounds. Same old stories. This town can bring you down These streets are Streets ain't what it seems 
mission. So we should just sort of making stuff up along the yeah. way and see what see what sticks and just play that loop over and over again until you come up with come up with something that sort of works. Um, so at this point, it was my wife and I. While she's writing the script, I'm just fiddling around the guitar and so on. And um, I've got one here, and this one just says, Amy sings, I transcribe. She'll kill me for playing this, but let's see what this one is. Don't worry about that. This town ain't what it seems. Got ambition, not the means. Where the streets are paved for dreams. This town ain't what it seems. So it's just a lot, a lot of that basically going around in loops and loops, trying to find, come up with something that that would work. Um, so yeah, when you when you say you know, if I got a process, um, I suppose every song is very different, but this one was particularly different because we're trying to write something that would fit a script and this whole idea of a storyline, you know, well, or, or imaginary. A couple of things I want to say is that that particular line is one of my favorite lines. It has the ambition, but not the means. It, when I first heard the song, I started to think, this is a sad story. And then all of a sudden I realized it's almost like there's more than, the singer is like representing more than just this town is bringing you down unless you've been there. And so there's almost like there's more than one person telling the story that it's not that down. It's like these people are really, you don't know it until you go. Is that exactly. And that, and it sort of, t- it turns, it turns itself back yeah. around saying actually it's, it's a beautiful place. But yeah. that, that whole ambition line is, it's, it's, it's a Dylan Thomas reference. So Dylan Thomas is a famous Welsh poet. And he said about Swansea, which is sort of Cardiff's second city, if you like, sorry, Wales is second city. He said, um, Swansea um, ambition is critical, and they've got that written on in stone outside the main train station there in the city centre. And, um, and I love that phrase, ambition is critical, because it means so many different things, you know, as in ambition to die in, but also showing how much we need ambition and, and all that kind of stuff. So, well, um, so yeah, that's a, a take on that line, I suppose. Well, ambition is also like can be a word that's not that it, ambition is always like I when I was in art school, if we obviously took on a bigger job than we thought we a bigger project than we thought our teacher would refer to something as that was an ambitious thing you did and that wasn't a compliment it was like mm. you, ju- yeah. you you yeah. you your eyes are too you're bigger than your stomach and you really you kind of bit off more than you can chew the other thing which is interesting and i remember on knife talk you were saying that you and your you had told us that you and your wife were working on a tv show and this is not i had i'd thought about this actually i was listening to a lot of music before this and i really thought the connection between, and it might be English songs, it might be a British thing, English thing, is the Rod Stewart song Handbags and Glad Rags, mm. which is also the theme song to the British office. Yeah. It sets a tone, it sets the per, that, that, that uh, chorus of handbags and glad rags, and you'd have to listen to a ton. Most Americans are just like, "What song is that? That's not Faces. That's not. That's not <laughs> Maggie May. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, is that they told me you missed school today? And not, yeah, that that one. But yeah. it is. It it sets the tone for that song. Particularly sets the tone for this 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 you know being in this kind of gloomy town of Slough and just kind of like it sets the tone perfectly. And I'm wondering. Mm. If that's a whole thing, if there's the relationship between the song and setting up the relationship, the, the, the theme song setting up the relationship with the TV show. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. Um, it's, it's very strange. So Wales is a very, very small country, and we're, we're always seen as the sort of poor relation to England. 
and he even here in Fran in France, when I tell people that I'm from Wales, they say, "Oh, Wales, yeah, in England." And it's like, no, 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 yeah, we have no separate idea. country. You know? We have no idea. Yeah, no, no idea. And um, but it it it's it's a weird place, even within Wales. So I'm from you know the, the main capital city, which is Cardiff, which is quite sort of cosmopolitan. It's just like a little London, I suppose. But literally just 20 minutes down the road, it's a different world. As soon as you go into, you know, what they call the South Wales Valleys, um, it's a very, very different. And that's where my wife is from. Um, so I've spent a lot of time there. And um, just before we came to France, we were living there for a bit as well. So I, I, I saw that the, the huge differences. And even growing up in Cardiff, I never ventured that far into the valleys, you know, just 20 minutes away because I'd head to the city or, you know, or, or just where I I was. I'd never go that far. But it's it's a completely, completely different world. And that the, I wouldn't say the mentality is different, but the, the feeling is different there of, as I said, that there's certainly, a, you know, a lack of opportunity and that kind of thing. But there's a, there's a massive warmth. There's a massive warmth. And there's a real famous... Um, Welsh hymn where they say we keep a welcome in the hillside, um, and that is that is so true of Wales that that is is such a sort of welcoming place. And traditional Welsh songs they have this big, they're always like big anthemic, feel good choruses, um, and so so that's what we were sort of trying to capture, I suppose. There's these these sort of dour verses where it's all a bit sort of depressing. You can imagine the rain, everything's feeling a bit grey. But then there's this big uplifting thing, which is what the the show is all about. It's about this this guy from Cardiff moving to the South Wales Valleys for reasons where he had no other choice, and him seeing the differences. And there's loads of comedy play on that. Then you know that the concept of the anthem is so important to the song "Our Town" because you know this song starts off with this male choir that's just. It's it's amazing. I mean, it is really kind of almost haunting. And that idea, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I was wondering, you know, it it, it felt to me, I know in the, in the last episode of Knife Talk, you, met, you mentioned that um, as as soon as you just found out that our town was played at a rugby match with 80,000 yes. people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, when you were thinking about writing the song Our Town, was there this idea that there has to be this anthem? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And... Again, it's a very strange thing to explain to people who aren't Welsh. Come into Wales for a rugby game. So uh, we've got the one of the biggest um, stadiums in, in the UK. Uh, but it's right in the middle of Cardiff. When I say in the middle of Cardiff, I mean the city centre. So surrounded by bars and nightclubs and restaurants. Um, whereas the, the other big stadiums around the UK, most of them, they're a sort of train journey away from the city. And it, it's a very different vibe. But it's a massive celebratory thing. When, when Wales play at home and the streets are lined, everybody's wearing red, everybody's drinking in the streets, not in a bad way, you know, in a very sort of jovial, jolly way. And it, it's like, they're like the best days ever. Yeah. And um, so this was, yeah, this was trying to sort of bring in some of that warmth, I suppose, because I say those, those verses are quite sort of desperate and it, and it is, yeah, that warmth is needed. And I think that's where the, coming the, the chorus is from. And having the, the male voice choir, that again, that's a very sort of Welsh thing. Before every rugby game, they'll bring a male voice choir out onto the pitch and they'll get the whole crowd singing. Um, so, yeah, so that was the point, to, to try and build an anthem that would then be used. The dream was, yeah, it'll be played out in stadiums and, and you know, people will sing it in, at future games, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, yes. but, it's, it, but it, it certainly didn't develop that way. So, as I said, I, 
as you've heard, it was just me on a on a on a guitar, an acoustic right. guitar. Um, then switched over to see what it would sound like on a piano. So I've got, I've got that original sort of trial on a piano. So. Okay, it's recording. It's street stuck in the past. Same old dreams that never Again, it's just trying to figure out some lyrics. But yeah, changed it to piano. And again, it had a very different feel then. It was more of a somber mood. Um, so yeah, it, it's it, it, it's it's almost a song of two halves, really. Um, it, one of, of, this, of this sort of, this dourness and um, trying to be optimistic, but almost being being hit back all the time. And that that's very much, you know, these small towns, that's what it probably feels like to a lot of people. But then that big uplifting, welcoming chorus, you know. But one of the things that's interesting that you say that because listening to listening to this town, the beginning with the male chorus, your voice cuts through in this way that is the uplifting part. You know, your voice just kind of cuts through and it's beautiful. I'm not just saying it because you're my friend, but I mean, I'm just saying that because, you know, there's a there is a definitely like I'm, I was hearing a little of uh, the style of that Brit pop Oasis sound. Like I had that I was listening to Oasis all morning and I was listening to this and I found that your voice kind of cut through to kind of create that duality between the 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 uh, anthem or the crowd singing or the choir and you know you cutting through and kind of creating this you know this town isn't really what it don't don't you can't you don't know until you go yeah it's not what it seems from the outside um yeah and i suppose a lot of that you know you know orally you know you said that it, it sounds it cuts through a lot of that is using that when you mention oasis a lot of that is because we use the same equipment i use the same microphone that um, Wonderwall was sung into. Um, I used the same guitar, the acoustic guitar that was used for Wonderwall as well, which is now owned by Nick. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, and and obviously in the same space. So it's gonna, you know, we were trying to emulate that sort of sound. Um, but with regards to the the male voice choir, so that's very much almost like a Stones. You know, you can't always get what you want with the with the choir sort of starts off, and then then yeah. they come in later. Um, so yeah, again, trying to sort of ape that, but get in, we had 45, um, blokes in for the, the male voice choir and, uh, a traditional male voice choir in, in, in Wales there, they're normally elderly guys in their sixties and above. They like a drink, <laughs> you know? So we got them all in the studio and they're loving it because they're like, wow, you know, they're hearing all the stories about the people who've recorded there. So they're like, wow, and they're all taking pictures. So I bring in a couple of sort of crates of beer for them. I've never seen beer disappear so quickly oh really I, hands just come from everywhere just and they were gone it was just like wow how much <laughs> wow, beer did you bring wow. a case of beer well, a couple of crates so that would have been 48 48 sort of cans tins of beer and you know bottles and we had ciders and stuff as well they it was just, it was just gone in minutes just <laughs> and i could see some of them were putting them in up they picking up more than one stick them in their pockets for later and all that kind yeah, of why stuff. not it's free it's for me and i'll take three exactly i know all about it yeah yeah but they, they originally started because they had a, they had a conductor, like a musical director as well, and they were they were sent my original demo beforehand, so they knew what they were going to be doing. Um, but they were very much sort of on the ball with it. They was you know, you know, start that syllable there, and he's stopping them dead on time, dead yeah. on time. And then we were trying to sort of get that structure out of them. We wanted it to sound a bit more like a like a chant at a, at a big rugby game right. as opposed to you know a, a technically trained choir. 
Um, so yeah, they were there for a few hours, and we had you know quite a few takes with them. Um, but it, it was just really good fun, and that sound in the control room. Because if you imagine a control room, they've got these these speakers that literally blow you against the back wall if they were turned up too loud. They were, you know, immense speakers. And hearing the sound of, you know, 45 sort of proud Welshmen, you know, going for it. it it's really, emo- really emotional. Um, so originally they weren't going to be on the beginning of the track. They were just going to be, you know, for the big chorus at the end and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we just cut that bit out and it's like, let's try that at the front. And it was just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um well- Speaking of when you, and I was thinking about all the different types of songs that have, you know, especially modern music that has like rock songs that have a chorus in it. And I was thinking of the Rolling Stones, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And mm. the, I, I wasn't even going to bring it up because I felt like it's nothing like, and it's for the, what you just said. You can't, can't always get what you want. They have this girl, I think it's like a children's choir. I think so, yeah. And yeah. it's, and, and they're very, everything is incredibly tight. It's a very tight job. And, I, and I, when I was trying to make a comparison in my mind, walking the dogs, trying to figure out, I was just like, yeah, but the choir is much more like what guys at a football match or a rugby yeah. match. And, I could, and yeah. now that you said that you had, you had, stru- you had structured it so it wouldn't be so structured, you, you feel that. You feel that it's more like you got guys around with a couple beers, had them sing, and then they weren't like the, – the shackles weren't on, on them. You know? Loosened up a bit. Exactly. Yeah, much. Exactly. I, you, yeah. Could, you, yeah. you feel that. You feel yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But what we had to do then, because, I mean, because we put their um, their verse at the beginning, that then took the song to sort of, oh, I think it's like six and a half minutes. It's quite yeah. a long song. And, it, you know, that's not played on radio. Six and, you're lucky if you get a three-minute song to be played in full on the radio. So, you know, if they were to play the first three minutes, we wouldn't even get to the chorus. So then we had to do a radio edit, which is really hard because you've got... I mean, in this particular song, there's there's three verses and then this outro chorus, which is basically half of the song. So, like, cutting that down to three minutes was, was just really difficult. So the radio edit doesn't doesn't have the choir at the beginning. It just has me starting on the piano and then they come in later. Um, but that must be so hard for producers having to do that all the time, having to do a radio edit of something that they've, you know, worked so hard on and they, they'd be so proud of. And it's like, well, okay, now chop it in half. It's like, but- ah. But you, when you played those, when you played those voice memos, you have these, you know, you have, you can tell that there, and I know nothing about writing music or making music. You can tell that there's a mathematical equation to it all, and obviously that's got to be the way it is. Okay, we just do this, this, and this, and we just cut the male choir at the beginning, and then. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything needs to sort of resolve itself, you know. So if you start um, like a verse the verse will generally end on the same chord that you started on and the same with the chorus, so then you can go into the next one quite easily. You know, there's there's lots of people doing really clever stuff with, you know, with, with music, but, I, you know, I and like the, simple music. That doesn't challenge me too much. I like to know where it's going. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, but I mean, the, the, like once again, what's the story, Morning Glory? There's a lot of similarities in terms of And when I said, that, and I know you said that it's because we recorded in the same place, I felt that your vocal decisions were very similar to uh, Noel Gallagher or the Gallagher brothers in terms of just how you sang. And, and this is funny to me, too, because, you know, we've talked on I've talked a million times about how you just never got into the Stones mm. and, I, and you never got the Rolling Stones. No, and never. I know why. And I, and I thought about it. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And I thought about it because I always felt like the, and I used to make jokes to uh, Will Stelter. He had, Will Stelter once asked me, what's your favorite mu- country music band? I said, the fucking Rolling Stones. <laughs> and that, it's because I've always felt like the Rolling Stones always tried to sound like Americans. Definitely. Brit- yeah. And that is that country twang. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, it, the best country music 
ever sung was by the Rolling Stones. I mean, I mean, I'm telling you, and just like there's no better Rolling Stone song than Dead Flowers. I mean, they're the country yeah. music song yeah. Flowers. Yeah. But if you think about like Stone Roses and Oasis, it is very, very English. Even the the the, the you know Mick Jagger, if you didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't sing with an English accent. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. He sings with an American Southern accent, which is weird, you know, or yeah. a bl- or a black blues <laughs> accent. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I can imagine that for you and for you had a very similar style to the Gallagher brothers in terms of you had a very. It was a very English song. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't thought of that, but maybe you know. I'm. You're influenced. I'm you were clearly I'm British, influenced. and I recorded it in the same place, and I'm into that music, so it, it it must sort of filter through. Yeah, yeah. It has to be. I mean, but it's a. But I, it's very clear that this town is very. It's a love song to well, love. Song, I hate to say it, but it's a. It's a. <laughs> it's a tribute to this town, to Cardiff. Yeah, Cardiff and South Wales as a whole, basically. Yes, yeah, and the differences between the two. They, as I said, they, they are. A world apart, just twenty minutes down the road, and I think that's what the song tries to do: have these almost two halves that mean different things. Yeah. Tell me how you met, because I once again, if you haven't listened, go onto Spotify, listen to Sleeve Notes. It's a great podcast that you did with a Nick Brine. Nick Brine was the once again he was the producer of the Oasis and Stone Roses. And all these, I don't and think Springsteen, loads. Yeah, really huge. Yeah. How did yeah. you meet him? So um, he's from he's from South Wales himself. Um, so he started working at Rockfield, um, which, it, which so I, I didn't mention actually. Rockfield is in South Wales, so about oh, okay. about seventy miles from where I was born. Uh, never ever been until until now recently. Um, but he was he was he was born there, um, and he got a job at Rockfield at sixteen. Um, and um, his first he was telling me his first job there was um, on the first day he arrived. Um, have you heard of Sepultura? They're like a, a, a Sepultura, massive, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a heavy metal band, right? Yeah, his first job was was working with them, um, so he was like straight into the you know straight into the cauldron with those. And and from them, his next job was the Stone Roses, and that was a fourteen month. So he went in as an engineer, you know, T boy to help out, but he was there for fourteen months. Um, and during that time, there's lots of downtime in the studio, so he just got to learn more and more and more. Um, and hence starting to become an engineer and producer and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, l- you know, growing up in, in the 90s, listening to music, always looking on the back of sleeves as they used to have, you know, CDs or records, whatever you'd buy. You'd have the sleeve notes and you'd be able to see, you know, recorded at, engineered by and produced by. And always seeing Rockfield coming up on all my favorite records. And then you start to see Owen Morris or Nick Bryan. And I was like, all oh, right, OK. So so those names are sort of in your head. Um because so many of your favorite records, you know, are from them. Um, and it's only then, you know, probably four or five years ago, um, there's been this huge resurgence in um, 90s music again, massive, um, to the point where, like, even Oasis, they're selling more records now than they did back in the day, you know? There's huh. this whole new generation of, of kids into it. So, you know, so I'm buying all their new stuff as well, you know, because they split up, you know, the, the, the solo stuff and all, all other 90s bands as well. They're all getting back together, so... Massive resurgence in, into all of that. And, um, yeah, and, and seeing that Nick is working on all, all these still. So um, I reached out to him because, as I said, we're from near enough the same place. I used to work at a radio station, which was the local radio station to Rockfield, which um, I didn't know at the time, but that's where I met my wife. And so he knew the radio station stuff. So I just reached out and said, oh, you know, huge fan of your work and all the rest of it. Um, I'm local myself. Um, I said, would you would you like to have a chat for a podcast? And I'd, li- I'd like to hear more about, you know, 
the production of, of them because you, you know you hear podcasts about records and that kind of thing and it's generally the artist trying to promote their stuff you don't normally hear the technical stuff behind and that's what i'm massively into i love you know producing right. music and all that kind of stuff i like to you know learn as much as i can about it um so he said yes of course so so we did that podcast which you which you've heard and um yeah, and we just hit off. So we, we, we you know, we, we exchanged emails occasionally. And um, he said, "Oh, send me your demos of your songs." So I did. Um, he then said, "Well, you need to get in the studio. Let's 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 do these." And really, like, really? And I was like, "Yeah." But he's got a bunch of studios. So he's got he's got he's got one in Spain. He's got he's got two in Wales. He's got one down in in London in Brighton as well. He's got a bunch. I'm like, oh, if I did, I it would have to be at Rockfield, you know, because that's that's, right. that's that would be the dream. Um, so obviously, there's you know, there's a, there's a a financial element to that so you know it's sat, sat with my wife and she's like look just do it you're never going to get this opportunity again you, you know you're getting older by the minute you can barely make it up the stairs these days you know so it was a case of yeah now or never so so we booked the time in um so i spent the next sort of two months making it sort of full demos of of uh three songs that we were going to going to record in the studio so the idea was it wasn't going to be my band it was literally just going to be me i'd um be I'd take the demos in and we'd literally replace the tracks one by one. So if you can imagine how a, how a song is made up, you have a, you know, you have drums, you have bass, you have guitar, you have piano, you have organs, you have all these different things. And the idea was I'd take the demo one by one. We'd take off each track until each one was replaced. Um, sounding, sounding better. Um, so Nick was up for that. Yeah, let's do it. So we, but we booked the time in, um, crazy. As I say, it's residential there. So I'm staying in the same place where, you know, all my heroes have stayed as well. I say nothing, nothing has changed. And um, the, the same family who've always owned it still own it. And they're, you know, they're telling you all the stories and you just feel this almost like a weight. It, it's crazy. So, so the first track that I was recording um, was the piano tracks. So you're in the studio, you've had the tour, you know, you know everything about the studio and so on. So you sit there, you're in what is like a massive live room and there's a big, big glass panel. And behind that glass panel is the control room, and that's where Nick is. And I've got headphones on so he can talk to me. So he's like, right, we're ready. So I sit at this piano, and, and this is the piano now that, you know, Freddie um, recorded Bohemian Rhapsody on, you know? <laughs> and, you know, the, you just feel this weight, this, this pressure on you. Um, and he's just like, right, okay. So you hear this click. So because I'm not recording with a band... Um, you you record to a click track to keep you in time, so that so that would sound pretty much like this. You'd hear, and this is all I can hear. So I need right, I need to play to this this timing. So by the way, we we'd also changed from the demo, we'd up the BPM a bit, so it's going to be a little bit faster. So we had to replace every single track of the demo. So I'm sitting there, I hear this click, like deep breath, and you start playing those first few chords of the piano. And all of a sudden, all that sort of pressure that you had on your shoulders, that big weight, just sort of, just sort of goes, and you, and you're just there because you're in this big room on your own with this piano, and nothing else sort of matters. You're just like, right, I just need to record the piano. Track. I've done this a million times before. It's only when at, at the end of the take, they stop the tape, and Nick says, "Okay, that's 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 good. We'll you know you do it multiple times so they can comp you know various versions and all that kind of thing." And it's like, all of a sudden, then it's just like, wow, there was just, all that pressure was gone. So from that moment on, for the rest of the, the, the sort of four or five days that I was there, everything was just, 
I won't say plain sailing, but it was just everything just felt comfortable. Huh. And I think that's that's the the job of a good producer, really, to make you feel comfortable. To you know, they want they want to see you do your best work. So they don't want to pile pressure on you. They want you to feel as if you can sort of explore things. And when we did, we tried different versions of things. And I don't know, it, it was just it just felt comfortable, and I loved every single second of it. What did he do? Was because I can only imagine. I can't even imagine what the pressure. Because I mean, how many times you are you before you're going in, and we talked before you went and stuff like that, and I know you were nervous. Were you mm. practicing all the time? Because you you know that the the time is, you know, the money is clicking away every minute yeah. you're in there and the pressure yeah. of it all, <laughs> you know, the ticker's yeah, going. Yeah, so, so I recorded what was quite a, I didn't realize how it was sort of a, sort of a high-resolution demo that I'd made. It was It was pretty much all the parts were done. Um, whereas most people go to the studio and they may have like an, like almost like my voice note, you know, I've got this right. idea for a song and they build it, build it from that. Um, I didn't have that luxury, so I sort of built it from home in my sort of small home studio here. Um, and then the idea was to recreate it there. Um, but being there, they have much, much better toys. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the piano, I mentioned, you know, Freddie Mercury and this. There's another, I'll tell you another great story about the piano as well. So um, Coldplay were there doing their first album. And... Um, and now, you know, worldwide, huge fame all around the world. So Kingsley was telling me the story. So Kingsley's the, the, the owner in his 70s, full of stories. He's telling me, well, he said, I remember when they came. He said, you know, I always come going and listen to the bands. And, he, and he's really Welsh, real strong Welsh accent. Um, and he's telling me they just didn't have a hit. You know, I said, you know, they were just going to be another one of these bands you see come through. You never hear of them and all the rest of it. And he said that they, one day the tape machine broke. And they was like, okay, there's nothing anybody can do. You know, just leave the studio. We'll, our engineer's here. We'll try and get him to fix it and so on. Um, so Chris Martin was out, literally just walked outside the studio, right out, and there's this, like, banister there on a little balcony. So he's standing against that. And somebody said, oh, look up at the stars. Because we're in the middle of nowhere, and the stars are bright, 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 bright. Somebody says, oh, look up at the stars. And somebody else said, oh, look, they're shining for you. Oh, for and he's like, oh, fuck, fuck. So, he, so he's like, oh, oh, oh. And Rockville itself is still a working farm. So they've got these like big old, you know, the, like the old sodium lamps everywhere. They're like yellow. It makes everything look yellow. Oh, my God. Is and he's one? like, oh, so he went back to his room, which is the room I stayed in, um, and wrote that song. The tape machine was fixed that night. They wrote and recorded that, that song that night. And that's the final version. They didn't of do yellow. anything else to it. Yeah, of yellow. Um, and that's the song. If it weren't for Yellow, Coldplay wouldn't be what they are now because that was the big hit on that first album, which then, you know, funded that's the next am- album and so on. That's an amazing story. Yeah. So hearing these stories, you just get like little shivers, you know, and it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I stayed in that room, as I say, it was residential. So I stayed in the room that Chris Martin stayed in, the room that Noel Gallagher was in when he wrote most of the album, um, the room that John Squire was in from the Stone Roses, who's like a huge hero of mine. And yeah, you, before I played that first note, I felt this weight. But yeah, the minute you did, it was all just, it was just perfect. Loved it. So you're over there. What, one of the stories I love that, uh, that uh, Nick told on, uh, on uh, Sleeve Notes was you were talking about one of the guitars. And he says, yeah, this guitar was given to me by one of the Gallagher brothers. Yes. After they had, can you tell that story? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, infamously, they were always splitting up and having huge fights, the two Gallagher brothers and Oasis. Um, And they had a huge fight at Rockfield. Um, 
and with it, it involved a cricket bat as well. And they've still got the cricket bat there propping up one of the doors. <laughs> but uh, but um, they had this huge fight, and Liam went back to the studio, um, picked up guitar, destroyed the guitar, um, and thought, all right, that, that'll teach him kind of thing. Um, they later found out that it was actually Nick's who was the producer it was his guitar and that was given to him by his mum when he was like when he was young so this had <laughs> sentimental value so they're like oh Jesus Christ so they're like well, what are we going to do so um, but both of the Gallicas then said to him look we'll take you down to uh, Denmark Street which is which is like a huge street in London where all the really vintage guitar shops are you know this the, the, no, this is the serious stuff um, and he said no no it's fine it's it's fine you know things happen kind of thing oh boy. um so no just said look you have this guitar and he gave him one of his acoustic guitars but this is the guitar that he wrote virtually all of that album on um he recorded uh wonderwall on um he then toured with the guitar as well and um so nick now has that in his his guitar um, and when you think, I mean, just this month, one of Noel Gallagher's guitars sold for £375,000. And that was like insignificant guitar. That was just because Noel had played it. And when you think he's got the guitar that Wonder War was recorded on, which is obviously a worldwide smash, this is, this guitar is, is priceless, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so so Nick now owns that as as well as um, a bunch of other stuff from that time as well. But uh, that's another story. But... Uh, yeah, it's and and that place is is just full of full of that that history of you know all these famous stories that have been told there. there there's actually a, a documentary about Rockfield. Um, I can't find it on streaming services now. I, I it was on British TV about a year ago, and it's a full you know you know hour and a half documentary, and it, and they have you know Ozzy Osbourne's on there, Chris Martin's on there, and they're all telling their stories about about Rockfield. But I can't find it anywhere, unfortunately. But um, if you can find it, it's called Rockfield: The Studio on the Farm. It, it's amazing. Do you think, I mean, this, the, the singles are done, the singles are out. As of when this comes out, the singles will be shipped. You can go, if you want to get your copy, go support our boy, uh, Craig Lockwood. You go to craiglockwoodmusic.com and get yourself that, get that uh, This Town single. How do you think that this single will change the, if your guys are still writing this, this, this TV show? You think there's a relate? Is it going to be a change to the TV show, or yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know. This I'm to me now. This has become almost a separate thing, you know. Right. Um, but you know, nobody you know nobody buys CD. I I don't even have a CD player myself. I you know the car doesn't have right. them anymore. Laptops right. don't have them. I I, I don't have one. Um, but there is still a chart in the UK uh, for physical sales. And that, that's the chart that, you know, I'd listen to as a kid because it was all physical sales and there was no downloads. Um, so every Sunday I'd be there with my little tape recorder, you know, taping every song, hitting pause so you wouldn't hear the DJ and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was, I was a huge, hugely geeky about music as, as you know, seven-year-old onwards. Um, so, you know, it, it, was, it would never even have been a dream to think maybe I could get in the chart one day. But that opportunity is there now because physical sales, I mean, you can get into that chart now with with you know hundreds let alone tens of thousands like you previously would have needed or hundreds of thousands you would have previously needed um so it you know it's it's certainly not going to be you know a career for me i'm not going to get signed by a big record label and all that kind of thing this is just a one one you know one shot at it just to see what happens and sort of live that experience um so the way it's way it's working is you have a release date so my release date is november 18th which is if you listen to this on the day it's come out which is today 
I have a week of sales. So on, on the 24th, which is, which is a Thursday night, the official chart company sort of draw a line and all sales for that week go into that chart. Now, what you can do is put, uh, put pre-orders ahead, which is what I've done. So for the last maybe two months, people have been buying, 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 buying the single. And then on Friday, they all get scanned because that's the release date. So they'll all count for that one week of sales. Um, so the idea is 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 to chart, um, which would which would just be like mind blowing, um, and you know we already you know local radio have played and all that kind of stuff as well. So it's it's yeah it's it's sort of, I've lived this experience for three or four weeks now, and um, it comes to an end on the twenty fifth because you you literally have one hit at it, you know that you have one week of sales because whereas you know, in the past you used to have you know things going to the chart they'd go in at number 10 next week they'd be number eight next week they're number two and all that kind of thing that doesn't happen anymore it's all on that one week you go in the highest position and then you slowly work your way back out of the chart you know um so yeah it's it's been a hell of an experience because you know just just working out how to do that because not signed with a record label um i had to do it all myself so basically form a record label um, so, you know, having to find distributors that are chart registered, um, getting CDs manufactured and the print and all that kind of stuff as well and making sure it's there in time. And it's it's just been, yeah, a hell of a, a hell of a sort of task. But I've loved every minute of it because it's just learning something new. Um, so w- one thing we had to do, actually, once once we'd finished the recording and Nick had done all, all his mixing, um, what you then need to do, and people who listen to uh, Knife Talk, our podcast, will know this. Um, people used to say our audio used to be sometimes high, sometimes low. We'd be all over. It wasn't the same as everybody else's podcast. Um, so that that's a process called mastering. So they'll um, they, they'll almost like remix it to make sure it'll sit on the radio alongside other songs well without being jarring. Um, so this was mastered at Abbey Road. Um, where obviously all the Beatles stuff Jesus was done as Christ. well. I was thinking, if I'm going to do it, let's do it properly. So, so it went to Abbey Road, and um, and it's yeah, and it sounds it sounds massive. It sounds like a big commercial release, which it, which is yeah, very different to my original demo. Um, when I, when I say very different, musically it's the same. Even all the parts are basically the same. It's a little bit faster, but it's just got much more clarity and much more of a big explosion to it. I, I I love the 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 thought behind the back of end of making the music because I really don't have a I mean I like music a lot I never mm. had a huge I've just never listened to a lot of music until I got a little bit older I liked to hear I was trying to think about I was really trying to make a lot of connections between Oasis your 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 childhood you know your childhood your young the nineties your influences and I was thinking about our this town and I, one thing i remembered was i don't know if you we talked about this on knife talk a number of years ago when there was that terrorist attack in london on the bridge mm. and those people were you remember what i'm talking you remember what i'm talking about right yes yeah 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 and then everyone got along and they all as a you know group as a like a solidarity everyone sang the song uh, don't look back in anger yeah yeah and it was that to me was this idea of this anthem of people being together and they're, they're singing this, you know, it's this very strong, strong feeling of community when they were singing the song. And I was thinking, yeah. and I was thinking about that in particular, because I remember hearing that, that, you know, the, the, this, I don't know if it was at a concert or whatever, but it was just everyone was singing, don't look back in anger. 
And I was trying to sing, is that a connection? Is that, a, is that an anthem? Is that song an anthem? And I was trying to think about all the different kind of anthems there are, comparing them to this town. And I realized that this town really is meant for stadiums. It's, for, it's meant for people to, it's easy enough for people to sing in a group. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, have a few drinks, arms around each other, end right. of the night, all doing that la 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 thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's very much, um, I think, like, not to compare myself to them. Go ahead. Uh, why not? But, the, but, like, the Beatles, Hey Jude, half yeah, of that that's song. That's it. Half of the song is that big outro, and it builds and builds, and there's these little bits each time. So even though it's a loop, and it keeps looping, looping, looping around, it's getting more intense each time. And if you listen, you can just pick up these different sort of nuances each time. And th- that was the sort of the idea, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I, I, hey Jude was, in my, was on my list of, of songs. Because you can't think of many, well, American songs there are none. You know, mm. and if you go to like it's a different, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about, you know, you were talking about how you go to rugby games and they're, they, they play, they sing songs. Mm. If you go to uh, football, or I don't know about football games, but baseball games, every so often they'll pump in a bit of a song to get the crowd pumped up. And those songs are always songs that people can sing. Like yeah. it's a section, one of the craziest ones. And like you can listen to any, if you watch any baseball game, and they have anywhere in the world, anywhere in the United States, they will play. Uh, I don't know if you remember Harry Belafonte, but he had a song called Deo. Yes. It was yeah. the banana boat song. Yeah. They'll sing Deo. Like every single stadium in the everybody knows. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, the, uh, the speakers will say Deo. And then the whole crowd will go Deo. And that was, and all I can think of is just like, that's like the most famous non musical song of all time at yeah. stadiums because it was the, to get the audience to sing whenever i've watched sort of u.s sports they always have yeah if they score a whether it's hockey and they score right. basketball whatever they always have that sort of five seconds and it's either like um like the white stripes that's right or um what black else? betty Black Betty. Yeah, or, you know, that blue <laughs> song. Black like, Betty. That yeah, one, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it hasn't caught on like it has caught. I mean, you know, you if you watch video of, like, soccer games or, or at whatever games in, in, in the UK, you can hear the whole the crowd singing along. Chanting, the only other yeah, song yeah. I can think of, the only American song I can really think of that is, like, classic to Boston, uh, fuck Boston, number two, is uh, <laughs> Sweet Caroline. They play yes, Sweet Caroline yeah. as, like, the classic song that the whole the whole. Oh, and well, in New York, when the Yankees win, they play uh, Frank Sinatra, um, New York, New York. Right, yeah. It's, the, that, it's that kind of vibe, isn't it? It's getting everybody together, right. singing, community arms around each other, feeling it, yeah. yeah. So are you done with it? Are you excited? Are you th- are you have other songs in the hopper? Or is this is this a one time, one and done? Or I think, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I've got, I've got loads of songs that I've done over the years, you know, but this one, this one sort of fitted going back to Wales to do it and then added that sort of sentimental value to it. Um I'd I'd love you know I'd love to do this like once a year just to go and almost treat it like a holiday and have right. like four or five or you know even a week there in the studio just because it's amazing I said I know I'm never going to be you know a, a recording artist and make a living from it but just for the sheer enjoyment of it it's it was just, it was just amazing just amazing now here's here's a couple things we can do we yeah. can whatever you want to do I was I was thinking about something that I wanted to ask you but 
don't worry about that. We can. I I made up some games. If you want to play some games, if you want to, if there, I oh yeah, I want to hear is some that more rolls. Is that all derbs? It sounds like <laughs> I have to. We have I some have, party games. <laughs> I have music. I mean, it's up to you, really. I'd like to hear more Rockfield stories or any stories that you remember. You know, any stories you want to bring up from this adventure. I'd love to hear them, especially some from from a guy. I mean, those. I want to hear some some real rank ones. But I mean, yeah. it's up to you. But I also have other things if you want to do whatever you want to do. Um, let, let's play a game. Let's okay. let's give it a go. All right. This is going to be. We have a game. I'm going to give you some choices. Okay. I mean, it's not much of a game, but it's like uh, there are. I have lists. Do you of need things. the music? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Here's. I have 25 of the worst original names for famous bands. Oh. Do you want to? We could just. I could just rattle them off, and or I could ask if you could figure out some of the names of the. So I'm going to give you the original name, and you're gonna you're gonna figure you're gonna try to figure out what the final name was. Okay. I'll give you an example. Okay. Here, here's okay. an example. Tom and Jerry was the original name for Simon and Garfunkel. Really? Oh, you believe fuck. that? Yeah, terrible. Jeez. Here's another one. I'll give you another one. Can you guess the, the 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 name the final name of the band Mookie Blaylock? Mookie Blaylock, Motley Crue. Okay. I don't know. No, you're close. Well, you're not really close. That was the original name for Pearl Jam. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. there's some. They're bad. I mean, these are terrible. I mean, here's another one. Radiohead's original name was On a Friday. Oh geez, that's, uh, that's, the, that is terrible. Yeah. All right, here, here's a terrible one. Here's a terrible. One. What was what was the final name for the band, the Obelisk? The Obelisk. The Obelisk. Very goth. I'm going to give you some hints. It's very goth. Obelisks are very goth. The Cure. That's right. Really? That's right. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's this one perfect for you. And you should get this because you were I'm just saying this, you should get there. Who was the original what's the final name of the original band Smile? Smile. Smile. You could get this. You could get this. You could get hmm. this. The final name of the band Smile. Smile. You're gonna kill yourself when you don't get it. I, d- I don't know. I don't know what it is, but go on, you tell me. Queen. Really? Queen. Wow. Yeah, wow. Queen. Uh, more benign, forgettable than a truly offensive. The name Smile simply cannot approximate the power of music. This group's guitarist, Brian May, drummer, uh, Roger, uh, Roger Taylor, would record with. Uh, they wrote, uh, they adopted the concept called Smile as a part of a college project and built a graphics campaign around it. I, you'd think that it was because of Freddie Mercury's fucking mouth. Well, you'd think but, so. It's um, the perfect name, Queen. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. The concept of Queen is regal and majestic. Glamour is part of Okay, so that's the other thing. I'll read a couple more. Okay, here's a good one. Can you, what's the final name for the band Atomic Mass? <laughs> I, don't know Atomic what's, I don't know which Mass. one's worse. I don't know which is worse. I can just rally these off if you want, if you get sick as... Yeah, I, I don't know what they'd be. So you just rattle them off. Duff, Def Leppard. Wow. Def Leppard. I think Atomic Mass uh, is better. Bet I. You know what? Atomic Mass is better. Uh, <laughs> the the original name for Maroon Five is Kara's Flowers. Uh, the Beach Boys' original name was the Pendletons. Oh, yeah, good, they made a good choice. Mm-hmm. Green Day's original name was Sweet Children. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yes, it was a good choice. Changing, yeah, <laughs> it was a good choice. Oh shit, I just lost them. Uh, Sweet children. I love these. Sweet children. I love these names. These names are awesome. Um, 
<laughs> the obelisk. That's a good idea to, to, to change the name for that. Uh, sweet children. The uh, Black Crows were originally uh, Mr. Crow's Garden. Uh, it just keeps on, and that's it. It's, it's so cool. difficult to come up with like a band name, though. Really, you got a good band taken. name, and I think particularly now when you know people are on Spotify or they've got websites, it's even harder to find a name because before you could have just used the same name as somebody else in another city, nobody'd ever know. But now, if they've got the domain name or if they're if they're on Spotify, you need to differentiate. It's really difficult. Really difficult. Yeah these these names are are these names are tough. Um, here, all right, so here I'm going to give you a choice: ten most annoying concert behaviors. <laughs> ten rock stars. Ten rock stars who did terrible things. I, I always go with the war. I never go for nice things. You know, I did the last episode with the guys from yeah. Philly, and all I could find were stories about how shitty Philly is. <laughs> it was totally great. <laughs> uh, Twenty-three despised bands that are tr- that are crazy successful. I like this one. Let's do. Let's do. Uh, yeah, let's d- do that. Despised one. bands. Number one. bands got to be Maroon Five. Uh, number one is Smash Mouth. <laughs> Really? Oh, geez, that's a, that's, a, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. So this, this is, this is, these, this, 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 this is uh twenty-three despised bands that are crazy successful. Smash Mouth number one, Nickelback number yes, two. I can see that. Yeah. Insane clown, insane clown posse. Do you know about them? No, never heard of them. No, dude, that's the craziest story of all time. It's, it's the insane clown posse are these two guys who dress up with like this kind of crazy clown makeup, and they've created. A, like a subculture of people called the Juggalos. Oh, Have you heard of the Juggalos? Nice. Probably oh, some of the no. Knife Talk listeners are jugg- Juggalos. But <laughs> they're like... At least, yeah. <laughs> but they're like... I mean, they, the Juggalos are like... They get together, they have these events, and they just... They screw and do drugs and drink, and, and to the point where the FBI labels... Well, some of them do, and they have like... Oh. They've created like this subculture of like... You know, anything goes. It's bizarre. I mean, God bless him. If you're a juggalo, I'm with you. But uh, it's like the it got to the point where the FBI started to see them as like a gang. Oh, like wow. they, it was like <laughs> to be like a if you were like, like a juggalo tattoo, you were like or anything. Mocked. It was it's crazy. So yeah, insane clown posse. Insane clown posse. Are, it was very fascinating. They're a fascinating group. Um, just because they've created this like rabid fan base. It's Mad. it's like. D- kind of slightly dangerous too. Hmm. Um, number four is Sugar Ray. Number <laughs> yeah. five is the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh wow! Number okay. s- number six, uh, despised and incredibly successful, Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, I can see never... why they'd be despised. Yeah, yeah. Train. You yes. know Train. Yep. <laughs> number nine is Fish. <laughs> and now we're getting into the fucking drags. Oh, I, I mean, we... limp limp biscuit. Yeah. Matchbox 20, Hootie and the Blowfish, the Black Eyed Peas, Maroon 5 is number 14, good job, Three Doors Down, Duran Duran made the list. Really? Uh, wow. The Fray made the list, Dotree made the list, Hanson made the list, LMFAO, remember those guys, they made the lift, list, Chumbawamba, <laughs> Imagine Dragons, and Puddle of Mud. Most these of these despised... like one hit wonders, I think that's why people are fed up, right. they're fed up with that song maybe, yeah. The, yeah, the Nickelback is something else. Um, <laughs> funny, but uh, I have, I have, I also have Cardiff news. Just to let you know, I, I really Cardiff went news. Let's I really do it. Went, okay, okay, let's okay. Do it. I have Cardiff news. Cardiff news. Fifteen things guaranteed to happen at a <laughs> night out in Cardiff. 
you're ready. <laughs> I can guess them. See if I can guess them. Okay. Well, okay. Let, me, let me load it on. This is from whalesonline.com, just to let you know I didn't fuck around. Okay. There's going to be chips down Chippy Alley or Caroline Street at the end of the day. Yeah. That's definitely on there. Definitely on there. There's going to be somebody drunk with their top off doing doing push-ups in the middle of the street. That's going to happen. Um, well, uh, I, I'm looking at all these fucking things. All right, so you got number one already. Number one is number 12. You'll secretly look forward to the end of the night where you can get a kebab from Chippy Lane. Chippy Lane, not, yeah, uh, maybe not a kebab, but yeah, yeah. Just read them out to I won't guess them all. It'll, it'll all fun. right, yeah, well, you get a, uh, whoever's busking at 2 a.m., you will become their biggest fan slash backup <laughs> dancer. Yep. <laughs> uh, you'll feel like you're on the strip of Magaluf when you walk down St. Mary Street. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Magaluf is uh, like a Spanish uh, resort, yeah, party town. Uh, and St. Mary Street is the main street in Cardiff with all the bars and restaurants and clubs are. You will always bump into Ninja at some point. <laughs> you know who Ninja is? <laughs> yes, Ninja is this like seven foot black dude. Um, who, <laughs> with white dreads, all, it looks like with dreads, always in, always on his own. Um, and he he'll find like a, a bin, like a, a trash bin, as you'd call them. Um, and he'll take drumsticks with him, and he'll stay there all night playing uh, drums on on bins, and just scary. You can't give him any sort of eye contact because he's just off his head all the time. But um, yeah, always always there in Cardiff. And in fact, when I was back last, I saw him when I was back last time here. Yeah. There is a guy like that in New York, and only real New Yorkers know this guy. His name is Black Cherokee. Mm. And if you drive down the FDR, FDR South underneath the, the uh, Triborough Bridge, there was this performance artist, and he, he called himself Black Cherokee. And he would stand under the underpass, and he'd have a, sh- a bed sheet that he would spray paint a, a, like a poem or something on it. And then he would be sitting in a chair, or maybe there'd be a you know a cart on his head or something mm. and he would just do performance art and yeah. it was like people used to think he was crazy and then he just do it years after years yeah. after years everything different and it was like black cherokee and then you'd start to honk and then real new yorkers are just like this guy has been here for fucking 20 Ever. years under this over he's not a homeless guy he's a performance artist who stands under the underpass and does these performance art pieces for mm. the people driving by and it's just like respect and i would used to roll down the windows that fucking black cherokee and he would wave to you i fucking love black cherokee cardiff that is was full, awesome is full of these characters and then i don't mean like you know proper buskers or street performers i mean people right. who this is their life you know so ninjas one um there's toy mike trev um who died recently and there's a big thing in all the papers about it um basically it was an old guy in his 70s and he had this big green plastic kids microphone and he'd be there in the middle of Cardiff singing Frank Sinatra songs, top of his voice, all day long. So that was Tony wow. McTrev. We had Kung Fu Eddie, who'd, who'd jump in front of the traffic and do, like, Elvis what? Kung Fu moves in front of the traffic. <laughs> Kung Fu Eddie rules. I, lo- I love having, like, these mad characters in towns. They're just, it's just the best, yeah. Number four is it's a... Number four is it's a good thing the pavements are smooth in town because you will either fall because, you're heel, because of your heels or you'll be parading around barefoot. Oh, yeah, lots of number f- women, yeah. Number five is if you go to Coyote Ugly, you'll spend all night on the rodeo bull. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is this really – Is this really, am, I, am I? did I hit a good one? Is yeah, this yeah, yeah, these are all shit? hitting hard, yeah. Yeah, all hitting hard. I'm uh, ticking all these off the six, list. Is, 
you'll get so drunk you'll think pop world is a good idea. Uh, that's What's a, pop that, this world? is yeah, this is this is more recent times, I think. I think pop world's a club and it's more for kids, I think. Yeah. If you go to Metro's you will sweat more than you thought possible. <laughs> Yeah, what the fuck is Metro's? Metro's is a proper rock bar, and it, it, way before I started like drinking, it's been probably been there for fifty years, and it's down, you know, it's down underground, and it's a proper dark and dingy rock bar, and yeah, sweaty and cheap drinks. Yeah, this one I love. You'll become best friends with the toilet attendants, probably, <laughs> possibly landing yourself a free spritz of aftershave. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's yeah. the that's the best one. You will become best friends with the yeah. uh, Number nine is you'll reevaluate your life choices when the lights come on at four thirty a.m. in live lounge when they tell you to go home. We've all done that. that uh, most of us in live lounge too. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Uh, you'll stop off in a spoons for a cheap pit stop. What's the fucking spoons? <laughs> the spoons are, they're a British, uh, it's called Weather Spoons. They're like a, a, a chain of really, really cheap pubs where everything's super cheap, cheap. So a lot of people go there before the night starts to get really drunk. Then they can head off where the drinks are more expensive. <laughs> ah, yes. Ah, yes. Uh, you'll, give, you'll give in and buy a, a 50p plastic rose from one of the women along St. Mary Street. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. They- oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you normally get like Romanians and stuff selling um, <laughs> roses. They try and find, you know, drunk couples and they pressure the bloke into right. buying one of these shit roses. Yeah. <laughs> you secretly look for the chippy lane. Uh, you'll have to play survival of the fittest in order to bag a taxi at the end of the night. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cues for miles. Yeah. It, yeah. There's a picture here. It's just like, oh, my God, no one's ever going to get home. <laughs> there's just not enough taxis in, in the what? world to get these people home. I sent you a couple of weeks back, didn't I? Um, <laughs> like a um, a collection of photographs of Cardiff by night. We got to um, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we will do. Yeah, okay, cool. Let me let me just finish this off. Number fourteen is it's also mandatory to yell "Cheers, drive" as you leave the taxi. <laughs> cheers, drive. What does that fucking mean? What does that mean? Cheers, as in thank you, and drive, as in driver. Cheers, drive. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And number 15, if you have to take the train home slumped instead, enjoying listening to everyone belting out here, there, Delilah, or the Welsh National Anthem. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Always. Yeah, it's the same. So, it's the same. Cardiff hasn't changed in all this time. Yeah. So talk about that, that, um, that you, you, had, we had talk, you t- you'd mentioned before, and it was that f- photographer. I mean, that was really, like, if you Google Cardiff at night, this Cardiff guy's... It'll give you a series of photos that this. I, th- I think this guy's Polish, and he came to live in Cardiff for a while. And um, basically, you go out at night in St Mary Street, which is like the main drag in in Cardiff, and and just take pictures of people drunk. And these pictures are brilliant. That like the contrast on them is just like amazing. And there's always every time you look at one of the you see something else. There's so much going on, and they right. just convey like the end of a night you know not now because i'm older but you know back in my 20s right going out getting wasted this was basically the end of every night it was always the same and um these pictures are incredible and i actually contacted the guy because i was trying to license one of the pictures to be the cover of this town so i thought it just it just conveys cardiff really well um but we it, it become a bit of a headache because it's it, as much as we could have a license from the photographer um the people in the shot 
that you know it could be seen as derogatory to them so it, we, in the end we just said yeah. let, let's just not do it because it could cause problems down the line but um honestly these pictures are incredible so yeah if if you send me yeah i'll find the link and when i put the, the show up i'll put it in the description so people can see them it doesn't paint cardiff in the best light but it does show what i was talking about earlier that that whole sort of Okay, there may not be much opportunity there, but there's a lot of warmth, and there's a lot of people sort of cuddling each other. And I don't mean warmth as in temperature-wise, just yeah, you but know, welcome in and just looking after each other. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, one, a couple things in regards to that. Is one of my favorite pictures from that uh, selection was there's this woman who was like flat on her back on the sidewalk. She's obviously has her like leather pants. It's not like this is not a homeless person. This is a person out on the night. Yeah, she's got leather pants on. She's got this nice coat on. She's just like out. And then behind her is this garbage can filled with yeah. like chip that wrappers. night's chip so wrappers. That, that is, we just mentioned Caroline Street, which is Chippy Lane. That's where everybody goes at the end of the night. And it's just takeaway, takeaway, you know, a, a whole street of takeaways. And come sort of 4 a.m. on a Saturday, it, it, it can be sort of six inches deep of just crap. And they just right. come with a lorry the next morning and just scoop it all up. And the same happens the next night. But that that particular story, that particular picture painted. I, I when you talked about people feeling maybe feeling like um, you know d- d- disparaged. There was uh, years ago. There was a very famous photographer named was Mary Ellen Mark, mm-hmm. and she did this whole huge selection of photographs about people in kind of like these Indian circuses, and it felt as though these. The pictures were beautiful. They were morose. They were a little bit weird. And it definitely felt like they were, these people were being, not laughed at, but almost taken advantage of to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And she came to our college. She's a very famous photographer. And we had this huge discussion with her and this philosophy teacher who just broke her balls relentlessly about, are you taking advantage of your, of your, of your, the viewer? Oh no! Is the, are, the is the photographer taking advantage of the subject? Yeah, and there I can so, totally see that that there are these moments where there's this giant monster of a guy wearing like a little bull peep costume and he's trying to crawl over a policeman's <laughs> barricade. But at the yeah. same time, like these kind of drunken people just like passed out in front of garbage cans is like I could see that being taken advantage of. Yeah, you wouldn't want to. Be, yeah, somebody in work to point that out. Oh, I sent a picture of you on the weekend. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be nice. Speaking yeah. of which, uh, I have some more whale news from Wales. Here's Let's a story. There's Let's do I got it, yeah. a, there's a Cardiff City. Cardiff City's a is a is a group is a, a football team. Cardiff, no, City? Cardiff City Football Club. Yeah, there's a there's, yeah. Well, the Cardiff City had a they signed one of their one of their footballers, and one of the part of the contract was that he had to have sex with sheep and eat testicles. <laughs> That was part of the contract. <laughs> That's a joke that the English do the say about the Welsh. Um, no, they, they, no, they, it yeah. it was a football contracts can be complex with a variety of different terms. Including, I read this fucking thing. I signed in uh, Cardiff. Uh, Spencer Pryor signed with Cardiff City in two thousand one. Think uh, most think of the of the life of football footballer is sunshine and roses, but tell that to former Cardiff City defender um, defender Spencer Pryor upon his arrival. Pryor signed a contract which stipula- stipulated he had to have a physical liaison with a sheep and also had to eat the sh- sheep's testicles. Stick with us. Uh, when those terms were announced in Cardiff's club's website, it was widely believed they'd been hacked, rightly so, but there's no outside reference to the typos as the bizarre additions really had been in- included. 
Yes, it's absolutely true, Cardiff spokesman Julian Jenkins assured reporters. Spencer's contract stipulates he must have physical liaison with the sheep. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you'll have to, if you'll actually have to stick to it, but uh, because oh, this fucking guy, I don't know if he'll actually have to stick to it because his wife is quite a looker. But we'll have to wait and see. Like that's the reason. <laughs> like his just wife's his too, wife is attractive. Yeah. yeah, his wife's hot. Why would he have sex with a sheep? This is so stupid. Fortunately, to Pryor, the whole thing turned out to be one big rib uh, yeah. yeah so he yeah. ended up did having to eat the sheep testicles or so he thought after gobbling down on them he was told they were chicken so but there, there why is, is that what is, it's a long-standing joke it's, it's particularly with it with the english calling the welsh sheep shaggers which is what they, they call us um it's just because there's, there's there's a lot of sheep in wales but there's it's very green and we have lots of fields and and there's a lot of sheep everywhere so it's just a yeah just a there's surprisingly not a lot of North Wales news. Um, this one caught my eye. I think it should catch your eye. Woman caught on CCTV. What's CCTV? Um, CCTV. Um, you know, um, cameras. It's like television? Outdoor cameras. All right. Not outdoor cameras, you well, know, like security cameras. Okay. Woman caught on security cameras pooing in a staff car park, <laughs> leaving a Welsh DIY firm boss stunned. The the paper. This made the paper. The boss of a Welsh DIY firm spat out his coffee after he watched a woman poo in the staff car park before she actually (laughs) strolled off. Vaughn Colley, managing director of Building Plastics Wales, was left appalled when he checked the company's CCTV and made a grim discovery. The, vi- the video footage shows the woman running into the car park with a the man, then crouching behind a hedge at around midnight on Monday. Uh, on a Monday, yes, that's worse, on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, after, handing the bag to, after handing her bag to the man, the woman appears to pull her trousers down to relieve herself. Once the man's standing waiting, she's done, and the pair casually walk off. Mr. Oh. Colley, 46, told Wales Online, I came across the car park and saw the dollops of poo there, and I expected to have come from, they, I expected them to come from a dog, and when I got to the poo bag, and I got the poo bags to clear it up, then I thought, hang on, let me have a look to see who did this, what? and I thought, <laughs> and I thought that? maybe, I thought. She said, goes, I thought maybe I would recognize the dog owner so I could contact them. Jesus. He's thinking he's going to recognize the dog oh. owner. And so you got to pick up your poo. But when Mr. Collie saw what really happened, he couldn't re- contain his reaction. He said, I made myself a cup of coffee and turned on the CCTV footage. And I spat my coffee out all over the screen when I saw what really happened. And then filmed and the no local toilet- newspaper. <laughs> And with no toilet paper available, it took me a little while to realize I was actually watching because it's not something you expect to see at 6 a.m. in the morning. Mr. Collie said he cleared the faces, he cleared the feces away with bleach and water, but fears that wouldn't, he, but he fears this won't be the last time this happens. <laughs> I wonder if this, this isn't painting the Welsh this, in the best light, this, is it? Uh, so. uh, we've been here for six years, and this is the fourth time this has happened, and I'm sure it's going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> they love this Jeez. car park. So I don't know Wales. why they're people very, do they're it. They're very different in North Wales. <laughs> he goes, I don't know why people do it. It's not a very private place. The lights from the back road uh, isn't really pitch black. So there you go. So, oh, <laughs> oh, the Welsh, the Welsh people this. embarrassing me. Yeah. 
Well, look, I mean, it's what, what are you going to, what am I going to do? I mean, this is the story because I know you're going to laugh. So I got to have these stories. <laughs> so we got a few more things that we can get out of here. What's up to you? Uh, you pick one, uh, 10 most annoying concert behaviors, 10 most annoying rock star behaviors, 10 great rock stars who did terrible things, eight um, of the worst record label deals in music history. <laughs> I think that would be more um, interesting, hearing them, hearing those eight of the, yeah. Okay, eight record of the worst deals. record deals in music history. I've, there's a few of these. Um, uh, Prince, uh, the uh, pr- uh, 1993 Prince changed his stage name to an unpronounceable uh, symbol, famously mm. is referred to as the artist formerly known as Prince, until he proclaimed the Prince name back in 2001. At the time, many people didn't understand the point. Prince used the stage, this, the strange pseudonym, to protest his treatment by his record label, mm. whom Prince had disagreements with over the of the release of his music. Prince tactics of painting slave on his cheek during the performances led to the popular uh, popularity of calling toxic record label label deals slave contracts. Mm-hmm. Number eight is Little Richard and Rick, Richard uh, Little Richard and Chuck Berry. Many early rock and roll pioneers like Little Richard and, and Chuck Berry signed deals with the record label that perhaps sounded good at the time. However, in hindsight, it was proven to be poor decisions. Uh, 1955, the anthem Tutti Frutti was a massive hit for the specialty records. The profits went to Art Roop, the owner of the label. He paid Richard only $50 for the publishing rights to the song and gave Richard a a paltry half cent for each record sold. Half fucking cent. Additionally, and Tutti Frutti is the most famous. Mm. As for Chuck Berry, the originator of the rock Guitar had this uh, share the song cry, uh, songwriting credits with his first hit Maybelline. The two other men, disc jockey Alan Freed and Chess Records creator Russ Fratto, neither of them who uh, Barry eventually learned his lesson when he came to business. At the time of his death, Barry be eh, Barry was worth fifty million dollars. Uh, Tommy James was ripped off by record labels. Few artists uh, put their lives in danger. Their label Roulette Records. Uh, boss Morris Levy was frequently accused of unscrupulous practices, including withholding royalties from artists and adding his name as the composer to a song he didn't write, like California Sun. Uh, Billy Joel was assigned a 10-album recording contract with Family Productions in 71. He had no idea he would almost immediately regret the decision that would haunt him for almost two decades. The trouble started with Joel's first album, Cold Spring Harbor. Uh... Uh, Cold Spring Harbor was incorrectly mastered at the wrong speed and gave Joel a much higher voice. Mm-hmm. Rip claimed that uh, it would cost too much to p- money to fix the album and release it anyway. Joel signed his ownership away to the rec- uh, recordings and publishings of his own music, so he had no recourse. I bet that happened <sighs> so much. Well, it, I bet it did happen so much with like younger bands who just want to sort of be signed and, and do it. You know, they, they'll sign anything. Can imagine now, they, now it's Spotify yeah. screwing everybody now. Well, that that's the that makes it much more interesting because like nowadays, and what's interesting about podcasting and 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 music in general is you can do it your all this technology you can do it yourself. Like you were mm. saying that you you'd already done the demo for this town on your own. Yeah, yeah, and then you know so distributed it and you know recorded distributed and did everything that a record label would do so yeah why would you give them money and as you were doing that then i was thinking about you know spotify the modern day sort of record label i suppose because anybody can put stuff on spotify but i've just looked it up how much they pay you have a guess jeff how much do you think spotify would pay per stream 
per stream for per stream. for everybody or for well it, it does vary because it goes in tiers so if let's you say streams, it changes but I, uh, let's say i'm gonna say a, a quarter of a cent point zero zero three cents per stream right it's even worse i mean that's yeah. like oh, by, by followers I mean, yeah crazy so crazy. how many streams do you have to, to to sell to make a make a make a buck it's um, like so 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 here here's the question really so how does how does like these songs that go that become viral on instagram like uh that song by um that one you know uh from god <laughs> this is not a good for i don't even know the song but it's like uh, what you're singing <laughs> That was like terrible. That was the that was the worst example of that song of all time. It's like I'm crawling up the hill and make a deal oh, the, with the, God. Kate Bush one, the Kate Bush one, yeah. Kate Bush, that better. Right take hell, two yeah. is better. But I mean, apparently she's made a pile of money because that's become such a huge yeah. streaming well, revenue for. It was Instagram. used in Stranger Things, wasn't it? They used it at the end. I know, Str- Stranger Things on Netflix. And then all the you know kids, you know, they didn't know that song, so they're trying to discover what song is that because it's, it's quite a mad song and. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of it, like the Instagram and the TikTok stuff, I think, it's easy to say, sounding bitter, but I think it could be just like like Russian troll farms, and they just, they just like, loads of them do, they'll get, people can pay to get streams on on things, you right. know, and they're generally in I China or Russia. And then once once it hits a certain mass, all of a sudden then it's on everybody's feed, you know, so it's easy for people to pick up on that, and it just... You know, it's like a hockey stick; it just goes up. You know, that tech goes up on a graph. Um, that also helps. That also helps the algorithm in terms of how your 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 reel will be viewed. Exa- yeah, exactly. All, yeah, yeah. Because that's why people do the same. Everyone does the same thing, and I'm so stupid. I'm just looking for songs that I like, and it's like that. No one's no one plays at all. Yeah, but, it's a populist thing. I mean, if you look if you look at the charts these days, you know that, that I I generally don't. I wouldn't know what's in the in the normal charts. But, you know, it, it's generally the same sort of eight or nine people all the time, you know, because, you know, they've got huge sort of marketing back in. And, you know, there's, I don't know, they're, they're, everything now seems to be the sort of the populist kind of stuff, you know, where it's all about, you know, whoever's got the most streams, well, clearly they must be the best. I think that's what, you know, youngsters may think. And that's clearly not the case, you know. But, um yeah. So yeah, how how like a new band or an artist would sort of make a living these days? I, I just don't know. It must be it must be virtually impossible. We have uh, my kids. My kids. Uh, my kids' bass teacher is an incredible musician, and he mm. he tours. And, but yeah. I think that he's also a young guy. He's an incredible guitarist. He's got a band that they tour, and he does tours. And I have another friend who used to live by me, who was in a heavy metal band, and he used to and he was he used to tour all over Europe all the time. Mm. But it was like, it's brutal. It doesn't yeah. seem like, and it doesn't seem like I don't know how these guys. I don't know how anybody makes any money. Yeah. frankly, it's gotta, except it's for gotta, if you're like a, gotta be difficult. Um, but I mean, saying that there's the. Funny enough, they're from Cardiff, um, a, a band uh, called Cardinal Black, and um, they sort of self-funded their album and stuff like that, and it's just gone to number one in the charts here, and I'm hearing them on the radio all the time as well. So, you know, it is possible, but I think it's just such a slim, slim chance um, that, you know, it's, yeah, it's got to be so hard for any sort of youngster wanting this to be a career. It's, I don't know how they do it. I was listening to, once I've said this before, but I was listening to... Uh 
Bruce Springsteen was interviewed by Howard Stern, and they're actually going to be they're going to be putting this interview is amazing. We listened to it in the shop, mm-hmm. and this interview is going to be on on HBO. It was an incredible interview, and there was this one moment where because he he it was a cool interview. You'd like it because he's got he's talking, they're talking, and then he's got his he's got the guitar there and the piano there, and they're like he's actually talking and showing you parts of the music. Oh, amazing! Like he's showing you, it's really cool. And they're going to yeah. have it on HBO. It's going to be it was an awesome interview. Awesome. It was like two and a half hours. It was really amazing. And the interesting thing that Bruce Springsteen said was there was one moment in his life where he was on stage with George Harrison and um, Paul McCartney and all these guys. He's like, I am on the stage playing music with the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And he says, I grew up, I got a guitar after listening to the Beatles. And he says, if you think about how many people got guitars because they were inspired by a band, and then how many of those people learned how to play and then you kind of whittle it and every Mm. step up is you're whittling people down and then how many people actually started a band and how many people and how many of those people actually got a record record label and how many got them and he's just like whittling it down to like how it became that how he you know how crazy it is that he was the one who was in who was completely inspired by the beatles and now he's on stage as like Mm. a peer in his mind of yeah. the no, I say I'm saying Pierre. He didn't say Pierre, but like the fact that how hard it was and how difficult it was and how much luck there was. He actually said how much luck there was. Yeah, this like I would assume. Yeah, yeah. But I would assume that like guys who are like super organized like that and super like driven and stuff like that, they don't like the word luck because it's like it's a little bit too passive. Mm, but he right, was yeah. very much along the lines of how you know lucky he was, and actually talking about that, the song Rosalita, which is great, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs, is all about how he's dating this girl and the mother hates him, and that he ends up getting a record deal, and it's just like to to thumb the nose at the the mother, the, the his girlfriend's mother, and in the real story, the mother took a uh, order of protection against him. And the, he wrote this song, uh, basically saying "fuck you" to the mother, which is amazing. I mean, Rosalita's yeah. just like, yeah, I, I might be a total flea bag, but I got a record deal, and now we're going to go to California. Yeah, I, I can imagine when you said, you know, he's up there on the stage. I imagine there must be so much. Um, oh, what's that? What's that word when they sort of don't believe in themselves? You know, they think, well, they're all. I'll cut this bit out. <laughs> no, don't cut anything. You're not cutting anything. What's out. it called? Uh, imposter syndrome. You mean you know that, that they must syndrome. feel that so much as well. You know, because you know, there's no sort of roadmap for what you need to be doing. Everybody's doing something different. You know, it must it must just be yeah. But well, but you but you're this. Let's let's go back to you. Now that we've talked about Bruce Springsteen, the Beatles. Let's talk about you. The band. <laughs> the Beatles, I mean, Bruce Springsteen, Craig Lockwood, <laughs> and don't for fucking forget Uplift. I don't know how you get up on stage and and play for like an hour and a half of all these songs. Yeah, well, we're doing it Friday doing? actually. So. D- the day this comes out, which is the release day, um, we're having a bit of a sort of launch party for the song, and um, we're playing it at a local bar here. Um, so we're, we're actually going to play this town as as a band, which we, we haven't even done yet. So we're rehearsing Thursday, but that's going to be interesting. Four of us trying to make the sound of a forty-five piece male voice choir and a full orchestra is going to be it's going to sound uh, it's going to sound a little different. But yeah, we're doing a gig Friday, so that that'll be fun. But um, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's you know, I only restarted the band in ooh, just over a year ago. A couple of years, 
Yeah, well, a couple years ago. Well, it was just last year. It was just last year. Um, yeah, but it was right at the end of, kind of at the end of the pandemic. End of the pandemic, yeah, yeah. And just loving it. And just like, why didn't I do this, you know, 30 years ago, you know? I, I just, yeah, it's just it's just the best feeling. Just, yeah, just when you're sort of on a wave and you're playing something and everybody, we're all sort of connected. It's, just, it's amazing. Love it. Craig Lockwood, living the dream. <laughs> Recording artist. Knife maker. He's doing it all. He's doing it all. Podcaster. Guys. <laughs> podcaster. Number one podcaster, by the way. I There's nothing more fun to me than podcasting with you and Mareko. I love. I love doing this, but podcasting with you guys sometimes is just more fun because I can just, I know that there's some little things I can do that just make yeah, you laugh. We all know I want to do other. is make you yeah, laugh. Yeah. I just want to make you fucking laugh and like, I can get you like to choke <laughs> a little bit and that's just my favorite. But guys, <laughs> I want, here's what I want. <laughs> I mean, choke on the joke. I mean, come on, man. Uh, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to craiglockwoodmusic.com. I want you to pre-order this town because we need to we need to hustle up and make sure that Craig makes it on the charts. You know, he's gonna knock out. I don't know who's in the who's in the hot who's in the hot Hall of Fame right now. I don't know who's in the charts in, in England. We're gonna knock him off. Um, Craig, I'm very happy for you. I got to. I really, and I'm telling you this. I know you sent me the. You sent me the. You sent me the. I asked you for it. You sent it to me. I didn't respond for a while. I know you were worried. That I oh, didn't like I was it. climbing the walls. I, I sent it to you because I didn't get a response. I think, oh, he doesn't like it. Oh shit, he doesn't. Like it. And all day, Dude, I was just like, oh. <laughs> I had to. I listened to it. Probably, I'm not kidding when I say I've listened to it at least 25 times. I listened to, I loved it. And the more I listened to it, the more I loved it. And the more I, there's some things in it, especially towards the end where the guitar riffs and the building of it all and everything about it. And I love at the end when, so I think it's, I feel like it has to be your wife cheering on everybody saying that they did a great job. It's not, it's the, it's the owner's daughter. Um, Amanda. That was really yeah. cool. That was a cool yeah. moment where the song ends and this woman goes up, you did a great job. And everyone's like, hey, all right. It was an awesome. I'm glad you guys kept that in too, by the way. That was a really great uh, yeah. thing. No, I loved it. I Like I said, I listened today I listened to it five times. And then I've been, I probably listened to it 25 times. Should we just play it? I wanted to get into it. Should we just play it? Because it's out today anyway. Shall I play it? If you want to... If you, and then and then we'll play it all. Yeah, go ahead. So let me just well, here's what we do. I'm gonna say goodbye, and then you play it. Okay. Do your all best. Right? Ra- do yeah. your best radio countdown for oh, it. Then can I, are you telling me that I can I can finally do you a can talk finally up? do it? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is WNBC. I'm Jeff Fader. We're on the Full Blast podcast, and I want to tell you something. Go to craiglockwood.com, craiglockwoodmusic.com, and pick up this town. And take it away with this town. All right. You can tell me so, but you don't know unless you go. It's a long way there. Make you welcome. Show you that they can. This town can bring you down Same old sights and sounds Same old stories going round This town can bring you down 
down This town ain't what it seems Got ambition, not the means The streets are paved with lottery
This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. (laughs) 